Steve Olsher is the editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine. He's also the founder of Club Pod, which is the largest club for podcasters on Clubhouse. And he's a lifelong entrepreneur. He's a reinvention expert, and he helps others become exceptionally clear on their what. That is, what is the one thing they were created to do, which will allow them to lead a life of purpose and contribution. His book, What Is Your What?, is a New York Times bestseller. He's also the creator of the New Media Summit and the host of the podcast Reinvention Radio. Our discussion spans from depression to reinvention to why he's always gravitated towards entrepreneurship. He shares a personal story of a vision he had at his stepfather's deathbed. And he shares some of the key tenets from his book, why he decided to start Podcast Magazine in the first place. And we go deep, and I mean deep, into his brand new journey on the amazing platform Clubhouse. He reveals how he's incorporating Clubhouse into his podcast workflow, and he shares his vision for his club, Club Pod. This is a fun one, so let's jump straight in to the conversation. Steve Ulsher, welcome to For the Love of Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So I want to dive straight in to you and your incredible work ethic and all the different jobs you've had. Let me just list a few. I know you've waited tables. I know you've pumped gas. You've been a DJ. You've owned a nightclub. You've done live events. You've been in the dot-com space. You've been a speaker, a writer. You're the founder of Liquor.com. You were the creator of the New Media Summit and the podcast host for Reinvention Radio and Beyond 8 Figures, which I know you sold. And now, on top of all of that, you are the mastermind behind Club Pod. And oh yeah, one more thing. You used to sell speakers out of the back of your van. And so my question, as a fellow past server and waiter, I attribute much of my current success to waiting tables. I'm curious, as you reflect and you look back at your time waiting tables, how did that help you in business and maybe even as a podcaster? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's interesting. I don't know, and I have to give you kudos. I don't know that I've ever been asked the question about the correlation between waiting tables and the entrepreneurial career. So well done, Billy. It's interesting, right? I think that the early days of, of waiting tables definitely taught me anyway. I'll just tell only obviously I can only speak for myself, but I think it definitely taught me how to how to, of course, think on my feet, right? And be able to react to things that are going on as they're going on. And that can be a pretty stressful, I don't know if anybody is, if you, I listener here, if you've listened and you've waited tables, you know how stressful that can be. If you've never waited tables before, you really can't necessarily relate to what that experience is like. So it's interesting, man. I think that there is a correlation there between being able to handle the stress and think on your feet and move, uh, you know, just from one task to the other quickly. Um, and also, uh, obviously, communication skills, because, you got to have some serious communication skills to, to wait tables. So I think, I think there's some correlative attributes that we can tie together. Sure. Yeah, man. I mean, I think about it. It's funny too, because I, I know no one's really asked me that question, but I thought about it because I waited tables for like 10 years and you know, you set expectations, you deliver on what you've promised, you make sure that when you're serving people that you go above and beyond. Like, so all of these things can play into how you go about business, or even as a podcaster, you've had an entrepreneurial spirit, it seems, your whole life. And to your own admission, much of your life has been consumed by chasing the almighty dollar. In fact, I I was riveted by your story in your TEDx talk, where you talked about in 2009, when you were at your stepfather's bedside, and you looked, you had a vision, and where the vision was, your tombstone would say something to that effect that you were chasing the almighty dollar. And so I wonder, as you look now, and I know your stepfather was, was really your, your father. You're, I'm going to ask, I hope it's okay. I'm going to ask a yeah. fairly personal question. How did your stepfather influence you knowing that you know your dad left when you were seven? What was the role that your stepfather had in helping you become the person you are today? Yeah, right. So great question again, Billy. And I would say, first of all, just to be clear, what what ended up happening is is I sat bedside with my stepfather in his final days, and he had raised me since I was 10. So by the time it was 2009, I was basically 40 years old. So that's, you know, 30 years of of my life, much more of my life did I spend under under his sort of care, if you will. Not much more, because obviously I went off and did college and all that fun stuff, but he very influential. 
And as I sat there bedside with him, literally in his final days, as I held his hand, I had a vision of my own funeral, not actually of his, but of my funeral. And I think he was trying to communicate with me and through me, you know, as we, as we held hands there and I could hear the words being spoken graveside, which as I'm being, you know, I'm in the casket being lowered into the earth. This is the vision that I'm having again, as I'm sitting here with my stepfather, um, the, the words that I heard from whoever the, the speaker was that was doing the, the eulogy or the final rites or whatever that is called there, last rites. I remember very clearly that the words were here lies Steve Olsher. He dedicated his life to chasing the almighty dollar. And that's all that was said. And it hit me really hard because I think he was just showing me my inevitable fate if I had just kept going down the path that I was going down of chasing these commodity-driven opportunities and just looking at things in terms of, can I make money? Can I make money? Can I make money? It was a real wake-up call for me. And so honestly, I think as I tie the two together, and, and Billy, interestingly enough, I don't think I've ever really tied the two together before this conversation. My stepfather was uh, was a money miser and you know he would be the one don't get me wrong I mean he had a lot of beautiful qualities as well but we didn't see eye to eye he wasn't the I'm not going to sit here and say he was like you know the world's best father I can remember us playing catch with the ball once so all that being said you know you still learn from everyone everyone has something to teach you and I think one of the things that I did learn from him because he was the kind of person who would want the thermostat set at 68 degrees right like if you touched the thermostat and moved it beyond 68 degrees you'd get yelled at Right. And, and more often than not, the answer to can I have that was no. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of what that drove for me was this realization of I need money and I need money because on the other side of having money is, is happiness. On the other side of, of, of having money is comfort. The, the thermostat being set to 73 degrees as opposed to 68 degrees. Right. Having the car that I want without, you know, having to work for it, which I did. I mean, they never gave me a dime to buy my own car, right? And like all of those things in terms of what I don't want actually fueled me as opposed to having clarity really around what it is that I actually do want. Mm. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm honored that you were able to connect those with me here now. One of the things that you've publicly shared is your battle with depression for much of your life. And I know that growing up and spending much of your life in an area where the seasons were such that it made it difficult to get out of depression. I know now you're in sunny California and hopefully that's helped. I'm curious, how is you and your mission to help people reinvent themselves and you and your mission as a podcaster and, a, and as a thought leader in the podcast space, how has that also helped and contributed to maybe less depression? Yeah. And so it's interesting to a large extent. uh, And I think this can be argued scientifically. I don't have the scientific background or data to support this, but I I do believe that depression and one's tendency to have, or let's just say one's uh, consistent uh, uh, depressive tendencies is, is more a reflection of how one is naturally wired. In other words, I think it is something that is literally in your DNA. Why is one person able to to not have depressive tendencies and someone else does? And you can often see this in the same situation where people who have had pretty much the the same sort of, of privileges and the same sort of upbringing and so on, you can see those two people having a very different experience in very similar environments, right? So so the reality is that for a long time, I did not recognize and realize that I was wired in a way that led to depressive tendencies. Like I had episodes like anyone else, teenager, this, that, and the other, and you get your moods and you go up, you go down. But it wasn't until I really bottomed out in November of 2013, and it was just kind of this perfect storm of collapse and I went to get testing and thought, you know, let me just back up. So thought about I'm too much of a coward to really end my life, but perhaps, you know, getting behind the wheel of a car and just not turning it around a curve just to kind of see what would happen would probably be a little more my style than perhaps just, you know, doing something more drastic. But when I when I hit that bottom and I really just couldn't see any way out, that's when through the love of my family and then through seeing professionals who prescribe certain medications to help with a lot of this and then through neurological testing, it became clear based on those tests 
that I am genetically predisposed to having really low neurotransmitter levels. And so like the serotonins and the oxytocins and, you know, the dopamines and these sort of things, those are, are I am genetically predisposed to having low levels. Like if your levels are, are normally 30, 40, 50, my numbers might be in the single digits. Mm. One of the things that, that really became clear was that living in Chicago, where six months out of the year, it can be cold and it can be gray and it can be unpleasant. From a weather perspective, that really had a, a pretty meaningful impact on me from a seasonal affective disorder standpoint. And so that seasonal affective disorder thing is real. You know, that it is something that that really does affect people. And I kind of felt it, but I didn't really know. Ultimately, one of the things that I had to do after the recovery was was find a different environment. And I can share at some point here, I want to make sure you get to your, your questions as well. But at some point here, maybe just make a note um, that I can share what I discovered is the four pillars that can help those who may also be struggling with depressive tendencies, especially, uh, you know, in, in some of the colder and grayer regions of, uh, of, of our country and our world. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I definitely want to, I want to double click on that. Why don't you go through them now? I mean, I'm fine with, with, uh, going through them now. Sure. So yeah, I mean, it certainly ties us all together and I don't really teach this and I, and I talk about it very, very rarely, but what I, what I've become clear on is that if you think about a, uh, a table, right? Like a square table, especially that has four legs. And if you take out any one of those legs, it can, it can stand for a while, but you know, eventually that thing's going to, going to topple over on one side. Right. And so what I became clear on is that there's really four pillars that drive our lives. And and this isn't, I'm not saying this is 100% true. This may not be 100% true for you. It is 100% true for me which is if any one of these four pillars is off in any sort of meaningful way, it, it really does have a, a, a fairly substantial impact on how I feel about the day. So I almost look at these four pillars as a litmus test. And if I'm feeling mm-hmm. off, I can go to any one of these four pillars and say, okay, I did not do this on this day. And therefore that's partially why I'm feeling in the way that I'm feeling. So the four pillars just really, really briefly are number one, I'm making sure that every day you're doing something that really puts fire in your soul. In other words, if you think about it from the standpoint of, you know, what's your passion or what's your purpose or whatever you want to call it, but something that really reflects how you're naturally wired to excel, right? Mm-hmm. And doing something on a daily basis that reflects that natural wiring. So it can vary obviously greatly from person to person. For me, this would be an example. Like if I'm not doing this interview with you and I know that this interview will, there's, there's one, at least one person who's going to hear it. Maybe it's even you, Billy, right? It's like, but there's there's at least one person who's going to hear this conversation and it's going to have a meaningful impact on their life. So if I'm not doing something in this way, because my, my core gift, my natural gift is, uh, is communicating. Mm -hmm. So I need to be communicating in some way every single day. The second pillar is doing something that is selfless, right? So you're really doing something for others and doing so without the expectation of reciprocation. You are genuinely taking on that activity simply because you want to try to help other people in, in, in whatever way that you can. And it can be very simple, like simply opening a door for someone. And it can be more complex, like going to work at a, you know, at a soup kitchen, or I don't know, or whatever that is. Um, or it could just simply be sharing a teaching, again, kind of crossing, you know, crossing out two, two, you know, two check marks here, if you will, on the boxes here. But maybe this is in, this conversation is in fact also serving as a as a selfless action because perhaps this conversation is really helping those who need to hear this and i'm not expecting anything in in return from that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right so doing something for yourself and doing something for others those two pillars the third pillar is about exercise and just moving your body and getting those neurotransmitter levels moving as best as you can, right? doesn't mean you have to sweat like crazy every single day, but at least doing something, whether it's going for a walk or going for a swim or, or, you know, just whatever it is that gets your body moving, we need to do that. Those, those movements trigger to really trigger our, our soul, trigger our senses and, and get us out of that state of just, you know, kind of complacency and that, and that state of, of stagnation. So that's number three. And then number four would be the pillar of environment. And, and that was really the, the, one of the bigger triggers for me 
because your environment can run the gamut from the standpoint of the people that you surround yourself with. Those people can really affect your environment. And also environment can include like literally where you live, right? And so for me, I really needed to change the environment of where I lived to get to a place where, you know, 88 out of 100, 90 out of 100 days have some sort of sunshine and it is warm and I am just genetically predisposed, you know, it could be my my Jewish heritage and coming from the Middle East or whatever that might be, but like I don't do well in the cold. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Some people love it. I you know, it's not my thing. So environment, movement, selfless, selfish, right? And then those are the those are the four pillars and when I'm feeling off, like I said, I can pretty much I mean to a T go back through that checklist and say that's because I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And it, and it becomes pretty clear. Mm, I love that framework, man. And, you know, it's this whole nurture versus nature debate. And there there is the nature, which is the predisposition that you have to perhaps have depression enter your life, right? So that exists. So first having the awareness, and the knowledge that that this is a truth. But then you have almost like a, a thermostat with those four pillars that you through nurture can change your environment. You can move, you can do something selfless, you could do something selfish, right? That serves your purpose, that lights you up. And I think having that awareness first and foremost of of who you are is a great starting off point. What saddens me is that when people don't understand that they can do some things and whether that be see a doctor or whether it be move one of those pillars, you know, one of the things that I think is a core mission of yours is helping people to reinvent themselves. And what's interesting to me is that in a, in a weird sense, that word is, is almost a misnomer based upon what you believe is that people are, it's not about them changing, it's about them removing things that shouldn't be there. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, like reinvention has kind of taken on like a, a little bit of a weird, let me just say that when Burger King starts talking about reinventing the hamburger, like it kind of gets a little overused and, and that sort of thing. But I've been, I've been talking stepping about on your territory, part. man. They're stepping know, on right? your territory. To me, yeah, I mean, Billy, what it really boils down to is, is when you truly reinvent your life, it's more of a, a matter of subtraction than, than addition. From the standpoint of a lot of people feel like they have to do something completely different or be someone completely different or take on a job that is completely different, et cetera, to reinvent their, their life. And, and oftentimes what it really boils down to is not necessarily about anything like, as I said, adding anything to your life. It's really about shedding the, the, the shackles and the agendas and the whims and the expectations that others have really thrown on you over the years and just kind of peeling back those layers to get back to the core and, and the essence of who you inherently are. For me, that's a really uh, important piece of the reinvention process is just getting much more clear on how you're naturally wired to excel and getting back to as close to what that is as humanly possible. Mm, And you talked about your core gift being communication. And I think identifying what that is, is super important. The other thing that I know you believe is that the, the gift is the constant. That's sort of the undeniable truth of who we are and what our superpower is. My question is, and I know that there's you divide up and you and you divide up the the four paths, you know, the birth or the wanderer, the shifter or the reinventor. But I'm curious, how do you suggest somebody who maybe is struggling to find out what their gift is? How how do you suggest they do that? Mm. What you're referring to are are various pieces of uh, of my book. What is your what? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do, and so. In that book, we, we, uh, we talk about the what is your what framework, which is basically comprised of, of three fundamental pieces uh, that, that make up really who you are, right? Your, your what, as I like to say, is that which has chosen you. It's not that which you have chosen. So like you can choose your why, like you want to provide clean drinking water to people in, uh, in a third world country, or you want to help the homeless or whatever it is. It's usually something outside of yourself. Your what is really that which is internal. Mm-hmm. So again, it's really that which has chosen you and not that which you have chosen. So what is your what framework is comprised of understanding what your core gift is, what the primary vehicle is that you will use to share that gift, and then who are the people that you are most compelled to serve? 
Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of the gift of the vehicle and the people that make up the what is your what framework. Now, as you said, two of those three pieces are, are more organic. They're more fluid. They can, they can evolve as, as you evolve and new things either come into your life or new things come out of you. So in other words, the, the vehicle that you use to share your gift, that can change over time. And the people that you're most compelled to serve, that can change over time. But your, your, your gift is really in your DNA. I mean, you are either a, a teacher or a healer or an entertainer or enroller, or in my case, a communicator, et cetera, right? So there's a, a number of different gifts that, that have been identified that we share in the book. And, and that gift is going to stay with you really for, for your entire life. When you start thinking about this whole question in terms of what is my what, you're going to realize that you're really on one of four paths. One path being, I know exactly what my what is. I've known it since the day I was born and I may get off path, but I always come back to it. And that's the the path of the birther. Mm-hmm. There's also the path, the, the path of the shifter. And, and the shifter is someone who just needs to make a subtle adjustment to the what is your what framework, the what is your what equation. Quick example here is uh, a woman who used to came to uh, an event that I used to do called the reinvention workshop. A little bit older woman, she came there, had most things in place, but just kind of felt like one of the pieces of the puzzle was off a bit. And she didn't know why. So she came to the reinvention workshop to try to figure those things out. And as we went through the, the what is your what framework, it was very clear that her gift was and reflects who she is, which is, she, you know, she's a healer. So her gift definitely was healing. And the vehicle that she chose to use that gift uh, was nursing. And so she had been a nurse for like 30 something years and, and, and lo- you know, really loved being a nurse. But there was something that was, that was kind of off there. And what we, we came to the conclusion of is that what was, what was kind of off for her uh, is really understanding the people that she's most compelled to serve. So she had been working in a general hospital. But it turns out that the people that she's really most compelled to serve are the disadvantaged elderly. And I remember when she wrote those two words on the whiteboard, I mean, it's like everything shifted for her. And so this is an example of just somebody who needs to kind of make a little bit of an adjustment to the what is your what equation. And then everything really does seem to fall into place because now she works as a, as a lead charge nurse, I think is what they call it, um, at a VA hospital. And she's working primarily with the disadvantaged elderly. And so that's made a tremendous difference for her. Uh, and then, of course, there's the path of the reinventor. And those are people who literally do a 180, like the lawyer who turns into somebody who teaches you know, people how to surf in you know, San Diego <laughs> or whatever that is, but somebody yeah. who was doing A and now they're doing B and have completely do a 180 on their life. And then lastly, there's the path of the wanderer. Uh, and the wanderer is somebody who just kind of goes from you know, cradle to grave without ever really having a, a clear understanding of how they're naturally wired to excel and what their what is. Um, and it's not through any fault of their own. They just, you know, most of us just go through life uh, without ever really having the right teacher, whether it's at the at the school or at the dinner table, to talk about this and to to help people figure out what their what is. So, yeah, I mean, that's um, probably a, a longer answer than you were looking for around all of that. But, you know, it just depends on, uh, on, on literally where someone is and where it is that they identify that they may want to go. No, man, it was the perfect answer. I love all, I'm a detail guy. So give me the details. I'm all about that. And I, I want to serve the audience with uh, as much impactful insights as possible. So you talk about the vehicle being almost something that can change, right? The what is constant, the vehicle can change, who you serve can change. So I want to talk about the vehicle for a minute and probably longer than a minute because I think that's going to morph into a conversation about Clubhouse. Curious what you see as your vehicle current state. Because if you look at your history, you've done so many different things. And now Clubhouse, I know, has been a big part of what you're doing. And you've been an early adopter to a lot of things. That's something that I, I really admire. I'm curious, one, how have you found yourself being so early to the game in so many things? And then what would you recognize as your vehicle today? It's a great question. And I just I consider myself to be a, a very well-rounded person in terms of reading a lot of different things and surrounding myself with a lot of different types of people. And I think that's been one of the biggest factors in terms of seeing trends before they happen, right? And, and, and just kind of trusting my gut. As a matter of fact, I mean, it, and let me just simply say the ability, it hasn't always worked to my benefit. As a matter of fact, sometimes I've been too early into things. And, and I get out of things because I get bored of those things before it really hits critical mass. And so it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse. But I would say that, you know, the reality is if you look back to some of my early days of launching a store, 
uh, on CompuServe's electronic mall in 1993 and then building a fully functional e-commerce site in 95 and being really early into that online space. And then now here in Clubhouse, for me, I've always had a pretty decent finger on the pulse of where things are going and what has the potential for hitting critical mass. One of those things, ironically enough, was Bitcoin, which I started tracking Bitcoin back in 2011, 2012. But that was one of those moments where had I trusted my gut, trusted my instinct, you know, it may have been a very different conversation that we're having here right now, because I'm not going to sit here and say I have a 100% track record of taking action when I see those trends. Clubhouse is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And I hope that that trend line really goes in, in hockey stick fashion here. Whether or not that will happen remains to be seen. Will people get tired of the platform once the coronavirus is under control and people are out and about more? Um, will listenership go down and, and, and participation and engagement go down? I don't know. But for me, I mean, it really just falls in line with complementing what my natural gift is of communicating. And I love, as I said, learning from lots of different people and connecting with lots of different people because that's where I start to see all the different conversations and hear all the conversations that are going on. I mean, like NF NFTs right now, I mean, that's a, whole, that's a whole other conversation. I don't even begin for a moment to, to really understand what's going on in that arena, but I've got a lot of friends who are talking about it. And I'm talking about like digital art and non-fungible tokens and that sort of thing, right? And so I know there's an opportunity there, but Lord, I don't understand it, not even a <laughs> little bit. But those are the sort of conversations that are taking place on, on Clubhouse and on other channels. And for me, it just simply is the, the, the vehicle, if you will, more than anything else at this stage that I use as the primary vehicle to leverage my gift is podcasting. My primary gift, which or my, my core gift, which remains constant throughout my life, is communicating. At this moment, the, the primary vehicle that I'm using to share that gift is uh, is podcasting. And you know, I, I consider Clubhouse to be a podcast. It's just a live podcast. It's an audio podcast. And we record it and we take care of it in the same way that we take care of a a typical podcast. So to me, it's all one and the same, mm -hmm. albeit a little bit different. It's social audio. And then the people that I'm most compelled to serve at this point are still the same people, those who have a mission and a message to share and are looking for the most cost-effective and time-efficient ways with which to do so. And I'm not sure that Clubhouse checks the ladder box on that, but you get my point. Yeah. Well, I also recognize that hindsight's twenty twenty when it comes to uh, anything we do in life. And as somebody who left Tesla and promptly decided to parlay my Tesla stock into a day trading pursuit, I would be having a very different conversation as well, brother. So believe yeah. me, I feel you. I feel you on that. But to your point on Clubhouse, and I love that you're acknowledging that it's it's really one and the same when it comes to podcasting. I, I do want to spend some time on that because you're somebody who I greatly admire what you've been able to do in a very short amount of time. I'm curious, again, we don't know what will happen in the future. Uh, it's easy for us to look back and say, oh, well, I could have done this differently with Bitcoin or I could have done this differently with that. It's all should have, could have, would have. And so as you look forward and you think about where things could go, how do you see other podcasters doing what you're doing, what I've done a little bit, which is integrating Clubhouse into their overall workflow? Do you see it happening more? And if so, what should they be doing to make sure they do it successfully? Yeah, great question, man. And, and I would also say then that, look, the, the fact of the matter is that a lot of people see them as being mutually exclusive podcasting and Clubhouse. I don't see it that way. We record all of our episodes of Reinvention Radio live on Clubhouse. And for me, it reflects the holy grail. Like I can't speak for others or why they're doing it or they won't do it or this, that and the other. But for me, having a, a call, like if, if I could have drawn up my career, I think my career largely would have included having a like an AM or an FM talk radio show. Like I, I love those conversations. I love the debate. I love sitting down with interesting people who are doing, you know, interesting things. I, I love having the interaction with people with differing viewpoints and bringing them on and then just, you know, letting them talk and then processing what they're saying and not trying to make it right or wrong, but just giving them the opportunity to share who they are and what they believe. For me, Clubhouse really represents the, the, the coming to fruition, if you will, of what I have always viewed as kind of my dream job right? Which is having a talk radio show. And so like today, perfect example here, I don't want to put a date stamp on this thing, but today I'll just say that I've got a, a pretty popular guy 
coming on to Clubhouse with me. And we will do it as a live episode of Reinvention Radio. And I will talk and interview him and, and, you know, we'll have a nice conversation for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something of that nature. But we'll spend the balance of that time shining the spotlight on others Mm -hmm. and giving other people the opportunity to come up and take the stage and to ask their questions of this gentleman who I know know a lot of people who have questions for him. Uh, And that to me is the best of of both worlds. And, And are other podcasters going to go down that road? I don't know. I mean, for me, I run it straight through, you know, the the roadcaster here, which I didn't have a roadcaster before Clubhouse. Um, I hit record, I play my intro music, I start the show, I hit the exit, I stop recording, and we take that file and we fire it off. I don't do anything else with it from an editing perspective. And I love being able to do that because that to me, again, represents the holy grail of honest, real, raw, authentic communication that's not polished and it's not highly produced. That's so great, man. And I seriously, I'm so um, impressed with what you've been able to do. And I think you are leading the way. One of the things that you just mentioned was the Roadcaster Pro, which like you, I bought just recently due to Clubhouse. And I I know you have, uh, I'll just share it now, this bit.ly forward slash club pod with the C and the P capitalized. Is that still active where you could see your setup, right? So let's talk structure for a little bit, not structure equipment wise, because you all could look that up. So again, bit.ly and then forward slash club pod with the C and the P capitalized. But I want to talk more about how you're thinking about the show itself. Are you keeping, I noticed that you you try to keep it in an hour, I want to say, is that including Q&A and how much are you interviewing your guests directly versus Q&A? How are you populating the stage? More, More of those sort of like technical questions. Yeah, so Clubhouse technical questions. We're we're looking at it in terms of I'll go as long as as there's questions and as long as my guest wants to go. Obviously, I want to be respectful of their time. It seems like, for the most part, the types of people that we're bringing on and doing this live on Clubhouse with, and then again repurposing that as a as an episode of Reinvention Radio. It seems like most of those folks are wanting to go an hour. They want to go longer, we'll go longer. And I would say that based on the popularity of, of some of the people that we've had on, you know, reality is it could go much, much longer. So we'll see how all of that plays out. I try to keep a very clean stage in Clubhouse. So what I will typically do is, of course, I'll be a moderator. I'll typically have the guest as a moderator. And that's it. And so we may bring on a, a third moderator. Like in this case, I'll be doing this show with uh, Jen Keller, who's our category director for society and culture for Podcast Magazine. And she actually set up this, this interview. Jen will be a third moderator. But then as far as the stage goes, I really won't bring up more than one or two people from the audience at any one time. And that way we can just keep the stage really, really clean. And when someone is done with their question, we send them back to the audience and we'll bring up the next person. So not always easy to do, uh, but as long as you tell your moderators, because people who come up on the stage can't bring other people up onto a clubhouse stage. So as long as you tell your moderators, hey, I'll handle this. Um, You don't have to worry about it at all. Don't bring anybody up. It can stay pretty clean. I've I've seen some rooms with uh, an inordinate amount of speakers and moderators. And I can see why that works because it definitely boosts the numbers. And so I can make an argument on both sides of it, but for, at least for these episodes, we tend to keep it cleaner. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And it's it's funny as you're talking, one of the things I'm reminded of, if, if, we've, if we were having this conversation 60 days ago, a fair amount of our talk would be about Podcast Magazine. So I, one of the things I sent you a Crazy. note er, early on, right? I know. Early on, and I said, I was super impressed with your honesty and your openness and transparency about it's, it's hard to do a magazine. It costs money and, and it's, you're doing a phenomenal job and it's, it looks amazing. And I know a lot of thoughts been put into it. Where does that now stand now that you're looking at your overall business as a whole, where is podcast magazine? And we'll get back to clubhouse cause I can't, I can't yeah. resist, but yeah. where does, where does that stand in the overall tapestry of your, of your time allocation and dedication? It's still uh, front and center. I mean, there, there has not, for those of you who are unfamiliar, we launched Podcast Magazine in 2020. February of 2020 was our first issue, which was about 140 pages. That's a whole other discussion. But we, we went from zero to launch with the magazine in about 100 days. And I just felt very, very strongly 
that there was an opportunity, and I just kind of scratched my head. I wondered why this didn't exist, that there was an opportunity to create sort of the rolling stone of, of music for the world of podcasting or the Sports Illustrated for sports for the world of podcasting, something that wasn't for podcasters necessarily, but in the same way that you know musicians read Rolling Stone, it's typically for the fans of music. In the same way that athletes read Sports Illustrated, it's typically for the fans of sports. And so we felt like if we could create something that really focused on podcasts and podcast culture and uh, you know just kind of dives into the world of podcasting in general and taking people beyond the microphone and deeper into the lives of the podcasters that they hear, but they don't necessarily really know, uh, and then introduce podcast fans to shows that they probably haven't heard of, but should be listening to. We just felt there was a really good opportunity there to, to support the medium uh, and really do everything that we can to elevate the industry. And what I will tell you, man, is that, you know, look, before the podcast, uh, let me put it this way. So we had our podcast for a number of years. As you mentioned, Beyond Eight Figures, we've had Reinvention Radio since 2009, on and off, and then mostly on since 2015. With the podcast alone, it's really hard to open up some doors that I wanted opened because we didn't have a top 10 podcast. We didn't have a top 100 podcast. Most of the time, we didn't even have a top 500 podcast with Reinvention Radio. So for us to get the attention of people like Dave Ramsey or Adam Carolla or Jillian Michaels or Jenna Kutcher or all of these people, Katie Couric, et cetera, who have since opened their doors to us because of the magazine, it was just a very interesting discussion around the power of media and zigging when everyone else is zagging. Mm. Right. And so this magazine, as far as I'm concerned, until people just simply stop listening to podcasts, this magazine will continue to be published. And yes, it's an expensive proposition. Yes, it's a time consuming proposition. But in terms of elevating our status and providing credibility and authority for me personally, nothing has even come close to holding a candle to it. So um, the podcast in this case, Reinvention Radio, and then we're also launching other podcasts like the Hot 50 Countdown and then Beyond the Microphone, et cetera. Those shows feed the magazine. The magazine feeds Clubhouse. Clubhouse feeds our products, programs, and services. Our products, programs, and services feed our events. Our events feed the podcast and just becomes this huge circle. And mm. ultimately, what Podcast Magazine does for us is it opens the door for us to have conversations with the podcasters that we all know and love and, and, and we want to connect with and I want to connect with. And then, of course, those that we're just becoming familiar with. But more importantly, it gives me the opportunity to go behind the velvet rope and now become a power player in the industry that I have known and love for the better part of a decade. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I love the the approach that you're taking and I think it makes a ton of sense. And also recognizing that in order to do that, you can't do it alone. How are you thinking about the team that you've built and do you feel as, as you think about your business overall and all of the different pieces, how are you spending your time versus what are you empowering other people to to do on your behalf and to help build the business. Yeah. So um, I'd like to say that I'm just, I'm crazy running from here to there and everywhere. But the beautiful thing is we've, we've got a really great team in place and, and we have people who are responsible for the magazine. As an example, we have other people who are responsible for, uh, you know, our online presence. We have other people who are responsible for customer service and, you know, and so on and so forth. So the beautiful thing about kind of where we're at right now is that I can invest my time into Clubhouse. I can invest my time into conducting interviews like this, right? So the majority of my time is really trying to be as as best as I can, not only a spokesperson for our company and the various initiatives that we have, but also really trying to position myself to some extent as a as a spokesperson for the industry as a whole, right? And And that industry being the world of audio. Because to me, there's there's social audio and there's evergreen audio. And so for me, I, I really uh, envision myself as, as more of a, a spokesperson, so to speak, for the whole world of audio um, in the way that only I can uniquely speak to it. 
Mm. Dude, I love that. And I also love that, you know, you can't outsource yourself. I mean, you could have somebody jump on Clubhouse and then just you be on mute. But the reality is if you unmute and it's somebody else, unless it was pre-designed to be that way, it's going to look bad. And, and ultimately, as you said, you're the spokesperson, you're the face, the figure, whether that be the face, meaning your actual voice, you're the voice of your of your company and of, of your mission. So I want to talk a little, I'm going back to Clubhouse. I want to talk about how you first got started on Clubhouse, how quickly you formed Club Pod, what the thought process was. Just give us a flavor of like your journey pre-Club Pod on Clubhouse. You know, man, December 14th, 2020, <laughs> the day that I signed up for Clubhouse, man, it's like, God, it just, it seems like it has been so long ago. <laughs> I know, it's, it's like a couple months, dude. It's just a couple months. It's, it's really crazy. So, one of the things that I knew really early on in terms of once I became familiar with what was going on there on the platform, and I was one of the first, you know, million odd users. I'm not going to say like I was user 26, you know, that wasn't me, but I was one of the first million odd users. It became very apparent to me very, very quickly that while it doesn't necessarily reflect that in this moment, the, the future of Clubhouse is going to be based on and built around the power of the clubs that make up Clubhouse as a whole. So Clubhouse will only be as strong as each of its clubs collectively are, are, are able to, you know, to move the, the channel forward. It was really important early on for me to be able to say, you know what, we have a club that in our case, because we wanted to make sure that we were, again, supporting the podcast, podcast magazine initiative here and all the other initiatives that we have about elevating the industry as a whole, it was really important for me to make sure that if we're going to go down the path of creating a club, again, seeing kind of the writing on the wall of that's really where the future of this is going to lie, let's create something that is short, pithy, really easy to, to recognize, and let's do something in the, in the, in the realm of podcasting. And having been a, a DJ who worked in clubs for years as a DJ and then actually opening up my own nightclub uh, when I was 19, I just really felt like if we could build something around the power of community and really create kind of a club within the club, so to speak, and specifically a club for the world of podcasting, you know, I felt like there might be a pretty decent opportunity there to, to do something. And so um, I don't know where the, the, the name Club Pod came from. In hindsight, it probably should have been pod club, but that seems a little bit kind of lame. That's more like, you know, uh, something you would do in high school, like, let's join the pod club. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it just, it felt to me like we needed to do something that would show up very, very clearly at the bottom of people's profiles in terms of it being legible and you'd be able to see what it was. And if you had a name that was too long, obviously that, that wouldn't happen. And so I, I applied for club pod and literally within, I don't know, it was like four days or something, um, I got approval on it, which I know is not the case now. And sorry if you guys are waiting on your clubs <laughs> or whatever. Um, but we've, we've grown it pretty quickly. And I can have a further conversation around that because I know you have more insight and inside information uh, in terms of what we're doing here. But to me, it's just, it's, it's the writing on the wall. If you're going to succeed on Clubhouse, you've got to get into a club and start your own club as quickly as possible. I'm glad you landed where you landed. I think Club Pod is the right name. Uh, Pod Club, to your point, I don't think it would connect as much, but I think it would still do well. I got to give you a lot of credit. Branding in general, I would I would say you're a branding genius, and I don't I don't want to inflate your ego, but but uh, please but do. We, but please do. But Podcast Magazine, Liquor.com, Club Pod, like all of these things stand out to me as they're they're I like short, simple, and clear, and and all of them do exactly that. So. Now that you have your club, which four days after you applied, you got it. And I know for those like myself who've been waiting patiently, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. But the reality is, I think we all can support your club, for example, or other clubs while we're waiting. What's your big picture vision for Club Pod? And how are you thinking about, because I know like tomorrow, for example, I'm going to be attending a leadership program that you have for leaders on Club Pod to onboard people. And so thank you for that opportunity. But what what's your vision for the like the future of Club Pod and how are you thinking about managing the overall approach that you're taking? Yeah. I, and and so 
One of the things that I became very clear on as we started to build the following and people started expressing interest and, in, you know, hey, how do I do things here in Club Pod? One of the things that I knew very, very early on was if we want this thing to, to grow, and this is really hard for most entrepreneurs to do, you have to let go of that Kung Fu grip on it. And the harder that you squeeze it, like you try to hold that, you know, that glass of water or the, the, you know, the water in your hand, whatever, you know, the harder you try to squeeze it, I mean, obviously it just, just squeezes out the, the sides there. And so we had to be really intentional about, okay, how do we grow this so that we're not the only ones, first of all, trying to, to do it, but also how do we do it in a way that we really give ownership to key members of the podcasting community who love the industry and the community uh, and the world of podcasts as much as we do. And so we took a little bit of a risk. You know, at first we opened it up so that any club pod member could start a room and you have that ability and you have that setting. And we learned quite quickly, like that's a mistake because <laughs> then you've got no quality control. And yeah. if anybody can open a room, then you're going to have all these rooms going on. Who knows what's really going on in those rooms? But at the same token, we knew that we wanted to at least be able to do something so that if people wanted to open rooms who were pre-vetted and who were pre-qualified, they would have that ability to do so. And we knew that if we gave them that ability, they would really take ownership of Club Pod and, and, and make it their own and spread the word and, and try to just really do everything that they can to, to elevate what's going on there um, on the channel. And so uh, we started with a group of 40 Club Pod leaders that we've onboarded and they go through a process and um, they have an agreement that they have to sign. And yeah, I mean, it's a little scary because as we, we have to give them admin rights, which basically puts them in equal standing and equal footing to us. Right. And so when they have that equal footing to, to us as owners, it's a little scary. And mm. so um, we had to make sure that they were trained. We had to make sure that they understood, you know, what our intentions are. We don't want this to turn into a pitch fest you know, where people are just using these rooms to, to pitch their wares, that wasn't an option. And so it, it's become a, a, a lot of kind of a game of balance here. And at the end of the day, we'll end up with about 60 odd club pod leaders in this first really uh, specific onboarding process here. And all of them are, are going to do whatever they can to elevate the club as a whole. And they'll be able to open up their own rooms and many of them do. But really what I wanted to see happen was I wanted to see ongoing programming so that pretty much anytime you come on to Clubhouse, if you want to find out more and, and have an interesting conversation around podcasts and podcast culture in the world of podcasting, you could count on a really high level conversation going on in Club Pod that would be of massive value to you. And there's no way that I could make that happen. So the end, end, end goal is room starting every hour on the hour where we have people from across the globe who are our club pod leaders doing that. And at the end of the day, they will keep inviting their people in and our membership will exponentially grow. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think it's really smart to do that. So I wonder, what are the things that you look for in a leader on the platform? And then you mentioned you want to avoid something like it being a pitch fest. What are the other things that you're instructing your leaders? Just give us a high level on that. Um, and then we'll wrap up here shortly. Yeah. So it's just really all about adding value and and not holding anything back. Right. I mean, so like, I mean, you're you're gonna be coming on soon here as a club pod leader. Um, and you're just a perfect example of someone who who loves the industry and somebody who understands what it means to have integrity and understands what it means to really use your your platform and your ability to help others in a powerful, meaningful, responsible way. And so that to me is, is really what constitutes a great club pod leader, is someone who loves the industry as much as we do and someone who really genuinely wants to help people who come into those rooms with their knowledge and their expertise and does so in a, in a, in a, in a responsible, loving, and, and, and non-kind of salesy sort of way because that I, th those those days of being overly promotional and overly salesy, um, I think that's really run its course. And, and and people know that if they give without the expectation of reciprocation, and they really give from the heart, that if it makes sense for them to work with that person, they'll reach out and they'll find a way to do it 
And, you know, and that'll happen naturally and organically. Yeah, I'm so with you on that, man. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up with a quote and I'd love to get your thoughts on this quote because I know it's meaningful to you. We all die. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Why is that quote so important to you? Well, it's important because the, the fact of the matter is that, I mean, all of us have a, a finite amount of time here on this planet. And so our, our goal, really more than anything, I believe, is to not only leave powerful legacy, but really to also be able to take action that impacts those who not only share this lifetime with you, but also those of lifetimes to come. And so if you think in that way, it will dramatically impact the work that you do and how you use the, the finite number of hours that we've all been given. True that, man. True that. Well, Steve, I want to thank you. You could find Steve at steveolsher.com as well as on Clubhouse. His handle is at podcast with an S. Definitely, definitely follow Club Pod on Clubhouse. Um, check out his podcast, Reinvention Radio. Obviously, subscribe immediately to Podcast Magazine. If you're listening to this, then I, I have to think that you have a uh, immense interest in what comes out in podcast magazine. Also his book, what is your, what check that out as well. Um, he also has a ton of workshops on his website, Steve, what am I missing and where else can people find you? No, man, that's all, that's all good. Maybe just give him the private backdoor link of uh, podcastmagazine.com slash free. I mean, you made it this far into the, uh, the episode. We got to reward you there a bit. So let's, uh, let's get you a free lifetime subscription if you're interested. I love that, man. Well, hey, Steve, it's such an honor. I'm glad that we're uh, we're forming this friendship, man. And I look forward to sharing the clubhouse stage with you uh, on a regular occasion. Looking forward to tomorrow to learn what it means to be a leader for Club Pod. Grateful for your time today. Thank you for being on For the Love of Podcast. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For the Love of Podcast. If you did, then please go ahead and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform and let a friend know about it to help spread the word. It would mean a lot to me and I really do appreciate all the time that you spend with me on this show. If you like this episode with Steve, then you're going to love what I share next week because it's all about Clubhouse. I'm going to do a deep dive into my experience over the last 75 days as I've been active on the platform every single day and I've learned so much and I'm going to share as much as I can with you in this special Clubhouse episode. So until next time, please remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.